Good morning. It's uh, great seeing all you guys uh, this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we're thrilled that you're here to join us and um, hope that um, you have an opportunity this morning, most of all, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and I hope all of you guys are ready to do that. Um, That takes some preparation, by the way. It's not just showing up and walking in a building, but it truly is preparing our hearts for that. Um, We were supposed to have um, baptism today, but we had to push that off for two weeks, and so um, just wanted to let you guys know that um, so you can kind of prepare for that. Very excited. Yesterday morning, I was on the way here, and... um, I need to spend some time in the office, and I was just worshiping the Lord. It was so fun. I was singing to the Lord, and there's nobody to listen to me but Him, so how bad can that be? And um, so just rejoicing, just thinking about the two that the Lord has um, put on their hearts to be baptized, um, and that's um, Alex Layfield and and uh, Michael Deck. Um, it just thrilled my soul because they're younger people than me, quite a bit younger than me, actually, and uh, quite a bit taller than me. And one of them said to me on the phone, Dad, this will give you two more weeks to work out. <laughs> so, yeah, I could pray about that. Um, not quite sure how that'll happen in that baptistry, but we'll... We'll figure it out. The Lord will do it for us. Um, This morning, uh, we are obviously here to worship the Lord. And before we get started in reading, just wanted to remind you a couple things. If you did want to be baptized, um, maybe the Lord put it off for that reason. Maybe there's somebody in here who hasn't come and spoken with me yet that wants to be baptized. I would encourage you to do that. We know for certain that that's something the Lord wants us to obey Him in. And... um, I would encourage you to just pray about that if that's on your heart. I also want to make mention of next Sunday is our New to Grace class. It'll, it'll happen immediately uh, after uh, the service next Sunday. It's an opportunity for you to be introduced to our church here at Grace and the things that we believe, uh, the things that we stand on, kind of a little bit of our philosophy of ministry and those who are involved in ministry that are behind the scenes. A lot of people that uh, push all the, all the buttons and um, really do a lot of the labor. And so I just encourage you, if you want to be a part of that, to, um, to sign up. You can go to our visitors uh, center right outside in the fellowship or in the foyer, and you can sign up for that. And that's next Sunday immediately after church. So if I called on you to share this morning, if I just said, um, hey, so-and-so, I want you to come up here and tell me about uh, your fellowship with the Lord and how that's going. Would that be all right if I just called you out and had you come up? <laughs> all right. Well, I'm not going to do that, but I was just you know, thinking, well, wouldn't that be, be fun to do? I think that's kind of what happened in the early church when they were together. I think there was a lot of sharing that went on together. and It's always good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's always good to be together with other believers in Christ. And if you're not a believer in Christ... Uh, I pray today you'll come to know him as your Savior. I was in the Hoover Jail this morning. They weren't locking me up, but um, I was there and spoke to the inmates. It was a really great time. And, you know, we can always pray for Bill White and that ministry as a tremendous ministry. 
uh, tremendous testimony to those prisoners. They love that man, and uh, he just really ministers to them and thank the Lord for his faithfulness. Well, I wanted to read some scripture this morning. Um, on Sunday nights, we're doing a small group here. Uh, Robbie Roberts is uh, leading that small group on the seven churches in Asia Minor. And um, so I was thinking some about that this week and wanted to read um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 about the church at Ephesus. And my purpose in reading this, and if you read through all of them, they weren't perfect churches. There were some churches that he didn't condemn, so to speak, but obviously when you're dealing with people, there's going to be sin that's going to happen in the lives of people. And there are going to be things, shortcomings, we might call them uh, in the church. Well, in Ephesus, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, uh, there's a letter that's written to them. And I'd like you to stand as we read this. And then um, our youth are leading our service this morning, which is fantastic. All right, so let's, let's read this and we'll pray. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds, your toil, perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. You found them to be false. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Man, that's like just that front page, boom, that's great stuff. I was telling the inmates this morning that I was talking about um, sharing together the church and the opportunity we have to share from time to time the Lord's Supper together. And I said, you know, one of the things about doing that is that the Bible tells us that we are to examine ourselves. That's so, that's so personal, right? And it's so difficult uh, because we like to think of ourselves as doing pretty well. But if I'm measuring myself, you know, horizontally, I might be doing pretty well. But it's that vertical issue. It's that my God is holy, holy, holy. And um, when you look at this, there's nothing that the Lord didn't know about this church. Just like there's not anything the Lord doesn't know about the assembly here today of believers. So, then he says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So he tells him the remedy. He says, therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this do you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Um, I was telling a few people lately, I don't know why the discussions come up, but it has. It seems to be coming up a lot more, but it's one thing when you get saved and, and you begin to hear what it is that God wants for your life and the things he wants you to stay away from, and you're like, oh, okay, and then 
you grow a little more in the Lord and you're like, yeah, okay, he says that's sin, that's sin. I don't, I don't need to do that. But then you find yourself, like Paul says, you know, you're doing those things and you get frustrated. And, but then I think, there's, I think this does happen that, and, it, and it's just outright rebellion, but it does happen where we know at times what God wants us to do. And it's if we look him in the eye and say, I'm doing it anyway. Now, that's a scary thought, is it not? I, I believe that happens. I believe that that happens maybe more than we're willing to admit. But I, I think one of the things in all that is that God has our best in mind. Right? And, and just grabbing on it, I think that's one of the hardest things for young people to learn as they get older. God really does have your best in mind. And he's giving us the guidelines for how we should live the Christian life and look like children of God. So I just wanted to encourage you with that, and I hope that does challenge you a little bit. We'll just call that a little sermonette before we get started today. But Let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then let's uh, sing to the Lord together, right? Father, you're so good to us, and uh, we do not deserve your grace but we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for the grace that saves us, the grace that we live by, and we're thankful, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful to know, as I was telling those inmates today, I mean, you know, this agape love thing, I mean, (laughs) you loved us, uh, and we were in a place that, obviously was unlovely and uh, we weren't lovable but you loved us and Lord you loved us so much that you that you died on the cross for us you you made satisfaction uh, for the sins of not only those that belong to you but of the whole world and if there's one here today that does not know um, you Lord I pray that today could be that day where they come to understand that, that you paid for their sins, that you died for them on the cross at Calvary, and that, um, Lord, you want them to believe uh, in what you did and what your work accomplished. The Bible tells us that you desire all men c- to come to the knowledge of the faith, and yet we know that not everyone is going to. But we live in a time where it. it it's so discouraging on the one hand because I think man has his mind and in, in, in things that obviously shouldn't. But even in the church, I think the church has been distracted from the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And so I pray you'd help us to stay focused. As we have opportunity, Father, to, to represent you, I pray we would do that well. And I pray that people would ask us, hey, what's different about you? How can... How are you able to handle this in this manner? Whatever the situation, that, that we would be, um, Lord, your ambassadors. And I just want to thank you for this morning. And Father, I just want to pray that everything we do this morning would honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that you would receive all the honor and glory. And that, Father, you would just uh, work through these young people as we, um, as we worship now through song. 
And I thank you for everyone that's here uh, this morning. And I just pray that, uh, Father, we've come ready to worship our Lord and Savior. And all this I pray in his name. Amen. Good morning, church. And if y'all remain standing and worship with us.
we're going to introduce you to another song um, that we've been doing in youth group, and the kids have loved it, and I think you guys will too, so y'all just sing along as you um, come to understand it.
Family, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. Thank you that as sisters and brothers, because of your son's death on the cross, we can gather this morning. And we're here to worship. We're here to ascribe worth to the God of heaven. To praise, as we have just sung, to our good. (laughs) To our good and gracious King. We praise you for your goodness that we've sung about as well, that you have shown us in each of our lives. You've seen us all through good and bad times in the recent months. You are right with us through it all because you, Father, are faithful. And we praise you for your faithfulness. It's this faithfulness that will see us through whatever is before us in this life. With what we are about, with what is ahead of us, you tell us through your word not to worry. Peter tells us to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Paul tells us not to be anxious for nothing. To be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And many of us, Father, have have and are currently experiencing your peace, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that peace that guards, sets up a, a wall around us and guards our heart and our minds. But, Father, we're people... We're sinners saved by your grace. And once we cast our cares and our worries on you, we pick them back up again. That's just our nature. But you tell us to cast. So, Father, we just, even if we pick them back up again, we'll put them back again. And we just keep doing that because, as we have sung today, you are good. And you're gracious. You understand that. And we thank you. Father, uh, we're coming now to another part of our worship. Where we are focusing on your word. And as we do, we want to pray for our pastor. That you would use him, Father, by your spirit as he shares what he has learned from your word. Help us to have ears to hear. Thank you for how you'll use him now. And help us to not be hearers only, but doers of your word. Thank you 
for what you will be doing in and through us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. There was an 80-year-old couple that was worried because they kept forgetting things. And so they went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, hey, there's nothing seriously wrong, but might I encourage you that you would write things down. might help you remember. A few days go by, and the husband gets up, and he's going toward the kitchen, and his wife says to him, Hey, honey, would you get me a bowl of ice cream with some nuts there and some chocolate syrup, little berries? He said, sure, I will. So he goes to the kitchen, and about 20 minutes go by. He comes back into the room, and he hands his wife a plate of scrambled eggs and bacon. (laughs) She stared at him, and she said, I told you to write it down. I knew you'd forget He said, well, hon, what did I forget? And she said, you forgot the toast. (laughs) If you're young here, you're thinking that'll never happen to you. Just keep thinking that. Well, I don't know any part of God's word, really, that's not serious. It's just loaded with what we need and... This series that we're going through, um, we're talking about that three-letter word, sin. I'm surprised you're coming back. (laughs) Um, It's not one of those series necessarily that um, inspires people to come back and sit in the same seat. Although you might be moving around, I don't know. But sin is a very important topic, not only in the life of the unbeliever, but in the life of of the believer. And John addresses his audience, and I believe it's from the perspective that he's writing to believers. My personal belief is he's not changing audiences. Some believe that. But my belief is that he's writing to believers, and I think we're reminded about that over and over again when he addresses them as little children or children. That's something that is unique to the believer. And this morning, I want to pose the question for you to consider, um, are you acting like a child of God? Um, And you can throw that question right back at me. That, are you acting or behaving like a child of God? Is it something that another believer would notice? that your behavior is different, that you sound different, that you look different, that you just are different. There's something that has happened in your life called salvation. There's something that's happened in your life that now you're a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not as you once were. I think as you get older and you begin to think about that question, you come to recognize Like one of the prisoners said today who is a born-again believer, he said, you know, Thad, as a believer, 
The older I get, it seems like the uglier I get. I said to him, I said, I don't know that that's the case as much as it is that we come to recognize that truly we are wretched people that, as Bruce prayed, saved by grace. Because in our old man, we're pretty ugly. And John has to address this issue with them. I believe the overarching issue is that there were some who were impacting the thoughts of these believers, whether they were Gnostic or not, I don't know, because Gnosticism really took off in late first century. So I don't know that that's the case, but something was going on where this issue of sin was kind of being questioned. It could be that some were saying, hey, now that I'm of Christ, I don't sin anymore. Well, I've been of Christ since I was seven years old, and all I know is I've been sinning since I was seven. Um, That old man has not been eradicated. I still sin. So John's having to address this issue. And we know that because back in chapter 1, in verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, remember that? And he's including himself in that equation. Then we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We sin. And I believe as he writes in chapter 1, we can even walk in darkness. We would have, we would we would not be hard-pressed to name people in our own lives who are born again, professing believers who have walked in darkness for a period of time or maybe even still walking in darkness today. What it should cause us to do is consider our own lives and not necessarily judge theirs. There's a way to handle sin in the church. Did you know that? There's a way to handle that. If there's open sin in the life of a person, there's a way to handle that. And it's interesting to me that that is stated in the Gospel of Matthew (laughs) pre-church. That one of the usages of ecclesia is around this idea of approaching another believer who's in sin. And you go to the brother or the sister and you approach them as an individual, and you, you talk to them about that. That's, now, that sounds easy. That's very difficult to do. With the idea that they would turn from their sin. Restoration to the Lord and to the body is the issue. And so he outlines it, and he says, look, you go, and if they listen to you, you've won your brother. And if you, they don't listen, you take two or three witnesses. For what purpose? So that that person's restored. And then it says, if, if they don't listen to two or three witnesses, what do you do? Well, you tell it to the church. Why? I believe that you tell it to the church so that the body of Christ has opportunity to speak into the lives of those folks. And then it's also a warning to the church. But then he says, if they don't even listen then, what do you do? You treat them as a Gentile. Well, how do you treat Gentiles? How do you treat them? You share the gospel with them. One of the things that we do not know is the heart of a person. We just don't know. 
I'm firmly convinced that it is the Lord, because the Word says it, that He knows those that are His. So maybe there are people out there professing they know Christ, but they don't. But when you see a person that professes Christ and they're in sin, you have to approach that person. Um, it's clear. So John, as we come back to 1 John, he speaks about this issue of being, excuse me, a child of God, looking like the one that we belong to. And that's really kind of his theme through verse 10. Some people treat verse 10, and I'll just tell you this to start with, they treat verse 10 as kind of a transitional verse. Some treat it like a concluding verse to the section. Uh, we'll talk about that more next week when we transition to the next section. <clears throat> there are some things he talks about, and we want to look at that together that might help us to think through this issue of being a child of God. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, little children, born ones. Remember, there's two different words in 1 John. Born ones, those who belong to the Lord. Make sure no one deceives you. You ever had somebody try to deceive you? Well, I think that happens in the church, wouldn't you say? That there are people out there who are deceptive, that try to deceive at times. Well, he says, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So in this first verse, he says, someone who does righteousness must be born again. The unrighteous can't do righteousness. The only one that can do righteousness is who? Child of God. Okay? A child of God does righteousness. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, hopefully this might help us a little bit to think about that. What is produced through us when we abide in him? Righteousness. Okay? But we might call it fruit. Fruit is produced as we abide in the Lord. So this whole, you know, man, that I'm tired of hearing about that abiding. Please don't get tired of it. Because it's critical that we abide in the Lord Jesus in order that righteousness would be produced through us. John calls it fruit in John 15. The Lord Jesus calls it fruit there. And I want you to take your Bibles and go there because I want us to see the importance in John's gospel that he emphasizes on abiding in the Lord Jesus and that when we abide in the Lord Jesus, there is fruit. There is fruit. Kevin alluded to this passage last week. I thought he was going to break out and start teaching it. But I want us to look at this because this is critical in context to know some things, all right? First of all, um, by the time we get to chapter 15, who is gone from the room? Judas has gone from the room. So who's he talking to? Those that belong to him. That is really critical as you're reading this passage. Because when you come to one particular verse, there are two or three different interpretations that come into to play, all right? Um, okay, let's start in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Notice, where is that person beginning in verse 2? Every branch that what? Is in me. Okay? That does not bear fruit, he takes away. And what does he do with that? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 3, you are already clean. Uh-oh, we've got to stop and consider that. Because this is a statement that based on the context, you would have to go, what in the world is the Lord saying there? That you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Well, if you go back to chapter 13, it tells us that they were already clean. Except for one. <laughs> and back in chapter 13, that one had not left the room. In verse 10 of chapter 13, Jesus said to him, and he's talking to Peter, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Well, who wasn't clean? Judas wasn't clean. He was dirty. So, He's talking here in context in chapter 15 to those who are clean, okay? They were already clean. So what does he tell them to do? It sounds similar to the language, does it not, in 1 John. He says, abide in me, and I in you. Why is this abiding so critical? He tells us, as the branch cannot do what? It cannot bear fruit of itself. Now, that's very critical to hear. I think especially because we're so um, in the church and has been this way for a long time, so work or activity driven that, hey, righteousness is produced as we're doing, doing, doing. No. Righteousness is produced as we are abiding in him and as he's working through us. All right? That's a really, really critical thing. In the New Testament, he stresses to the believer that it's important for us to be clean so that he can work through us. It's very important that we would be clean in terms of our fellowship with the Lord so that he can use us. We are, we're already clean positionally if we're in Christ, but in terms of experientially every single day, um, it's important to deal with, which John talks about in chapter 1, Confessing that sin that comes up so that we're in right fellowship with the Lord so that he can use us. You say, that, that's just way too complicated. Okay. That's just the way it is. He's going to use clean vessels. That's what he's going to do. And so that's what he's stressing. That's why he says, abide in me. You're already clean, but you need to abide in me. Because the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Well, that ought to put us in our spot. Sure, put the disciples in their spots. Unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. How does that work out practically 
in your life of ministry as a believer? I'll tell you how. You can't be dependent on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own understanding. There has to be a point in our lives on a daily basis where we are saying, Lord, here's my sin. I'm confessing that. I want to abide in you. I want that fellowship because I want to be used for your honor and used for your glory. And I know that can't happen if I'm not abiding in you. I can't work with this youth ministry and be dirty as a leader. It's going to look different. You say, I can mask that. A lot harder than you think to mask sin. So we need to be right when we are ministering. I was thinking back to the days that I was in Bible college and having to preach in homiletics. I just wonder how many times I was really clean. Say that that's awful to say. I know it is, but I've thought about that. Since I've been studying this, I'm like, Lord, how many times have I been dirty? Well, he says to these disciples, abide in me. That's what he says. If you do that, you bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now look what it says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. People come to that verse and say, oh, he's talking about unbelievers. Really? All of a sudden? I mean, it doesn't make any sense contextually that he's doing that. But I want to be fair, and so I want to give you these different viewpoints. Some interpreters conclude that, that he's speaking of believers losing their salvation. Well, does that mesh with other parts of Scripture? Answer, No. The security of the believer is not based on the fruit. Are you listening to me? It's not based on fruit. The security of the believer is based on the Spirit of God who sealed you until the day of redemption. Because we know one who's not going to change, that's the Lord. I, I change. I don't know about you, but I do. Others believe... Um, that he implied that believers do not abide in Christ, and then when they're not abiding in Christ, they suffer the loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. I lean heavily toward that view. He's talking about judgment. Does judgment happen in the house of the Lord with believers? Answer, yes, it does. All you have to do is go back to Acts, and what do you find? Ananias and Sapphira, they did what? They lied to the Spirit of God. The Lord did what? He took them out. You say, that are there other examples? Is that the only one you got? No, it's not the only one I got. You go to the Corinthians, and I was teaching them this this morning. Do you know that the first letter we have to the Corinthian church is not the first letter? Did you know that? So that Paul is with the church at Corinth in about 49. He writes them the first letter of which we don't have 
in about 52. Okay? We don't have that one. But then, the one we do have, he wrote between about 55 and 56. You say, well, by then, surely, because he had already written them, and they, they were doing all the right things, right? Because we read this letter, I mean, they good, I'm glad they got their act together, because Paul had already wrote them, hey, don't associate yourself with immoral people. And so when he writes to them in 55, the letter we do have, which is really 2 Corinthians, these guys are, man, they're marching to the beat, they're walking a straight line, they got everything together. True? Not true. Were these guys believers? Yes. In fact, in chapter 3, he says they were infants in Christ. Did they have issues? Yes. In fact, do you know that when they were celebrating the agape feast in chapter 11, the Bible says of these believers, they were getting drunk at the agape feast. They weren't sharing with other believers. Some had, some didn't. The ones that had were saying, hey, I'm just going to eat my supper, forget about you. And then there were some that were getting drunk. Off that way, I'd be talking about the world. We're talking about believers. And then we come to the passage that we know that talks about the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and, and why we look back and we remember what Christ did for us. But right after that, he tells them, hey, you need to examine who? Yourself. And if you don't examine yourself, there's consequence. Well, how bad could the consequence be? Well, sin's not that big a deal. How bad could the consequence be? I'll just keep living in it. What does Paul tell them? Hey, you know what? Among you, there are some that are weak, and there are some that are sick, and there are some that are dead because they did not judge the body rightly. You ever run across a situation where you just couldn't explain someone's death? Professing believer and living in sin, and you're like, Man, what happened? nobody wants to talk about it. Let's be honest about that. Everybody's like, Whoosh. nobody's saying a word, but people, this happens. I know it for a fact. They stand in the background and they go, something happened. And they go through in their mind, was this the judgment of God? Maybe. Maybe it was. We know if we look, and this is how people like to think about the judgment of God. Oh, that's a historical thing. Or that's a future thing. That's where God's judgment is. So it's on both, it's, it's up back here and it's ahead. And because it's back here, I don't ever have to worry about it. And because it's ahead, well, I'll worry about it when it gets there. Oh, that's a bad idea, by the way. No, 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 that's not just in those two places. Judgment happens now. Well, I'll share this with you. I thought, well, I don't know if I should, but I'm going to. Do you know, there's times when in my life, and I'm not saying it's been a pattern, but when I've known what the Lord's wanted me to do, and I've said, I'm not doing that. You ever done that? Anybody want to admit that with me? <laughs> That's not one of those things you go, hey, let's match colors. Everybody wearing blue today. <laughs> it's, this is a big deal. I know for a fact in my life 
the older I've gotten in the Lord, I'm quite certain some of my illness has been judgment. I believe that with my heart. I'm not saying my heart surgery, and I'm not saying I'm not saying any of that. I'm talking about just being weak and sick. It's a it's a big deal. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. So that's one of the viewpoints that um, some hold to. I kind of lean that way. And then there's another viewpoint that's interesting that has a lot of merit to it. Still, others think the mention of fire is only incidental since vine dressers burn the branches they cut off in the fall pruning. They believe Jesus' point was that some Christians are useless to God as, they, as these branches were to vine growers. The point is their uselessness, not their judgment. Which, that's a valid point, right? Because if you're not abiding in the, in the Lord, well, then you are useless, right? You know, there was a point where John Mark obviously wasn't doing something right, right? And what is, later on we find Paul goes back and he says, hey, he's what, useful to me now, which means he was useful to the Lord. So, a lot to think about. I know this is kind of heavy stuff, but it's important to think about. Well, then he says, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Hey, we need to look like we belong to the Lord, don't we? Just like these apostles needed to do. All right, so it is important that we understand the importance of this abiding issue. When we abide in Him, there's fruit that results in that. That's why it's important to deal with the sin that's easily a part of our lives, okay? Okay, the second thing that we have is verse 8. Look what verse 8 says in 1 John chapter 3. Back to 1 John, look at chapter 3, verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now it's important to point out that the Lord Jesus came to deal with the penalty of sin and the power of sin, one day we're going to be delivered, as we know, as believers from the presence of sin. But we have been, if we're in Christ, delivered from the penalty of sin. And, you know, we have the opportunity to be delivered from the power of sin. Sin does not have to reign in our mortal bodies. But you remember what Paul told the Romans, don't let sin do what? Reign in your mortal bodies, that you would obey its lust. Um, so someone who sins, I believe he's saying here, is behaving like a child of the devil. Now, obviously, with this viewpoint, I mean, there comes a lot of discussion, okay? And I really sum up the position of the two in the last point, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. You can see, though, the difference um, just in the translations. Look at what the New American Standard is there. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Um, And the New King James reads, he who sins is of the devil, so doesn't use the term practice. For the devil has sinned from the beginning, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Here's the question. Can a believer, just something to think about, look like he doesn't belong to the Lord? Or is it possible, we might say it this way, that a believer would look like he's not a child of God? Is that possible? Possible. Absolutely possible. Saying, how do you know that, Dad? Well, let's do some talking here. Does the believer sin? He does. The question here is, in the text as it was last week, is a pattern of sin. Does a believer habitually sin? That's really a lot of the questions around the argumentation in the text. Well, I put here that the Christian sins because he has a sinful nature. Can we agree on that? Okay. This was inherited from Adam. Okay. So next time you're giving thanks, thank Adam. But we were in Adam, right? So we were there. Christian sins because he has a sinful nature. So then this brought me to the question um, of what is our sinful nature capable? I didn't even know this was a word. But I like the, the word came to my mind, we're just rotten at times. I wasn't talking about you, but we are. But the word rottenness, it's a word. I was so excited to know that. Of what is our sinful nature capable? Rottenness. You say, well, how do you know that? I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Peter. You only have to turn back a few pages, okay? A few pages. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, I picked on the Corinthians, and I'll show you some of that in just a moment. But I wanted to show you another passage of Scripture that speaks to this issue. Chapter 1, verse 14. Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, as obedient children, born ones. <laughs> that word just keeps coming up. Do not be fashioned or conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. Hold on a second. What's Peter saying? Is it possible that a believer could be conformed to their former lust? I think so. Otherwise, he's not writing that. In fact, what's interesting is that that's in the present tense. Do not be conformed to the former lust that were yours and may still be present in you. You know what I thought about when I thought about this? Think of the disadvantage of a person who comes to Christ but is never discipled through the Word of God. Is that a problem? I mean, in my history, I don't even know how to thank the Lord. I was discipled by my father and by my mother and by Jim Pence, who was my youth pastor. Um, I was discipled by many men at Southeastern. I was discipled by Brother Thomas Morris. I, I get the Lord knew I needed a lot of help. I've had a lot of people in my life who spent time with me in this book. Saying, this is what the Lord wants for your life now that you belong to him. 
Well, think about the number of people who just in the crusades years ago came to Christ and weren't discipled. We went, I went to a Word of Life conference, I guess it was probably about 1993. There was a, it was just a huge rally of young people. Word of Life is in Scroon Lake, New York, for those of you who do not know that. And it's a tremendous school, tremendous Bible teaching school. They really have a lot of ministry and programs for their kids. They had this huge rally. There must have been five, 600 kids. And at the end of the rally, they gave an invitation and several kids came. And I had a few kids in my group and we were talking. And I couldn't help but think. As I was sitting there sharing with them further the gospel of Christ and what had transpired, I thought, what is going to happen to these kids? You know, we want our kids to come to Christ. Like I wanted all three of my boys, Teresa did, we wanted our boys to know Christ. Praise God they all know Christ. What do they need? Discipling. By just Thad and Teresa, answer, no. This is probably where the church could maybe improve can I throw that out there? That we need to be concerned with discipling others. Because when a person, listen, when a person is first converted to Christ, what do they know? They know that Christ loved them so much, he died for their sins, and they're trusting in that for their salvation. That's what they know. They don't know all the goodness, man, all the blessings, and all of what God has planned for their lives. So Peter writes, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Does that sound like some language you've heard before in the New Testament? It does. You remember in Romans chapter 12 what he says, do not be conformed to what this world. Who's he writing to? Believers. You're going to tell me that in our own lives we're not tempted and lured by the world? We are. We absolutely are. There's times when we don't look like children of God. And I think that's John's point here. That he's saying, hey, we need to look like children of God. We need to look like the one that we belong to. And you know, the enemy can use us, right? He can. You know, there's, I got to share this illustration with you. It's a, it's a, in one sense, just a, it's just an unbelievable illustration but if you go to Matthew 16, if you have the wherewithal to do that, I want to show you something that is pretty incredible. Matthew 16. Verse 13. Are y'all hot in here? Anybody say yes? Yes. Can somebody take care of that? <laughs> Please. I feel like I'm getting a suntan on my face. This is a very interesting passage because Peter's confessing the Christ. <laughs> and then later on, it's, it's different. Look at this. Now, when verse 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're not going to, you just, you're like, you can just see Peter. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. (laughs) Nobody standing around you did that. But my father who is in heaven. And also say to you that you are Peter and Upon this rock I will build my church. This is the other time that church is used, pre-Acts. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be, have been loosed in heaven. And he warned his disciples they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And from this time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Now notice this. Okay, here's the message. From this time forward, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised up on the third day. (laughs) Well, what happens? Look what verse 22 says. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, hold on a second. This is Peter. He's... He's, he's a disciple of the Lord. He, surely he didn't do that. But I think we have to be careful not to be too hard on Peter because of the message he heard. He did have some understanding of that. I think he liked hanging out with the Savior, don't you? You can see that in his life. He's the one jumping out of boats, right? Putting his foot in his mouth all the time. He loved the Lord. But notice what happens he rebukes him. That's a very strong term in the Greek. Basically, it's the idea he was in the face of the Lord Jesus. No, this isn't happening. This shall never happen to you. He says, God forbid it. Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Uh-oh. Is he calling Peter Satan? No. But... What was going on? Satan was using Peter. Oh, I thought he belonged to the Lord. He did. But he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Well, how was he a stumbling block? Look what it says. For you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Boy, there's a lot in that little statement. It forces us to ask the question, where's our mind? Is it on the things of the Lord or on the things of this world? It's a little bit different language in Paul's letters. You know, when he encourages them not to set their mind on the things above, but on, I mean, on the things below, but on the things above, where Christ is. His mind was, hey, you guys as Christians need to focus in on the heavenly things, not the earthly things. It doesn't need to be the horizontal, but the vertical. That's what Paul's message was. Well, man can be rotten. I guess that's my conclusion. And I think that believers, I'll just put myself there, Thad can be rotten. Teresa would probably say amen. She's probably saying that right now. Um, here we go, some examples. 1 Corinthians 3. We don't have time to go into all this today. 1 Corinthians 3. For you are still fleshly. I gave you the timeline a few minutes ago. They were still acting like mere men. That's what he says. 
You're not behaving like a child of God. You're not behaving like one who belongs to the Lord. Chapter 5, when it was said that someone had his father's wife, well, the church responded well there, didn't they? No. Notice what it says. You've become arrogant and have not mourned. Is that a compliment? That's not a compliment. You become arrogant about this sin. You know how arrogance plays out in the life of a church? When there's arrogance in a church, a church says, you know what? I'm not going to do these hard things like approach a brother or sister in Christ and sin. I'm going to leave that alone. Is that what the Lord says do? We wish it didn't say what it did, right? In our flesh, we're like, ah, I wish we didn't have to do that. But what's best for the believer when they're walking in sin? How do we love that person? We go to that person in love. That's what we do. They hadn't mourned. There was no grief over sin. Boy, if you look at the church today, I'm not sure how much grief there is over sin. I'm just throwing that out to think about. Do you know that sin grieves the Spirit of God? Did you know that? Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. Why should I live a holy life? Why should I abide in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because sin grieves the Spirit of God. Then in chapter 11, we talked about that a while ago. Many among you are weak weak and sick and a number sleep. Joseph Dilla, who is an author of a wonderful book. He went to Dallas Seminary, got his um, PhD. He wrote this. When a Christian sins, and John says in chapter 1 that we can walk in darkness, in that time he is behaving like a child of the devil. He doesn't say he's a devil, but he's behaving that way. How many times have you heard a parent say about a kid, man, a little kid's acting like a devil, Right? That happens. Sometimes we act like we're not children of God. That happens. He goes on to say, uh, in that time he is behaving like a child of the devil who he is really is not being made evident. If you want a wonderful book by Joseph Dillo, you need to buy this book. I'm telling you, you need to go out and get it today. I don't even know how to order. I know Amazon's out there. Everybody does that. I don't know how to do all that. But the reign of the servant kings is the book. It is a fantastic book. It addresses issues that the church really hasn't addressed a whole lot. It addresses the judgment seat of Christ. It addresses rewards. It addresses all this stuff we've been talking about in 1 John in terms of abiding in the Lord and and looking like a child of God. I I would encourage you to buy that book. It's a thick book and you're going to go... Oh, Thad, that's just awful. You'll work your way through it. And what, listen to me, you're not going to be able to put it down. Okay? I've got a book now that I'm having a hard time putting down. I mean, my Bible I have a hard time putting down, but I, I bought this book on letters from the different wars, you know, from the Civil War all the way through the Gulf War. These are letters that were written by soldiers to their families and such. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Well, how much better is it to read about what's coming Uh, when it comes to the Lord and being with him, and even judgment, because it'll get your mind around the fact that what we do matters. Okay, 
Last point, then we'll be done and we'll... Wow, I've never had anybody raise their hand in church before. Hey, Bob. The reign of the servant kings. The reign, huh? Joseph Dillo, the guy that's on that paper. Okay. You're welcome. I don't think I've ever had that happen. I'm not going to forget today. Thank you, Bob. Now, I have had Bob walk up here before and scare me to death. Okay, last point. Someone who does not sin is a child of God. (laughs) Say, hold on a second, Thad. You just talked about the fact that we do sin. I know that. Now, I want to show you there's two different viewpoints as we've talked about all along. There's a relationship view and then there's a fellowship view. And verse 9 is, is one of those verses that's very difficult, probably one of the most difficult verses in all of the Bible, I think. New American Standard translates it this way, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In other words, because they belong to the Lord, they can't habitually sin. That's the viewpoint, okay? Um, New King James, however, Reads this way, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Huh. Well, that's a different take than that, isn't it? For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of him. I like the way that this view ex- explains itself. It, on the back of your seat, sheet, you'll see that there's translations that um, kind of lean one way. You can just see that in your translations. Like um, many of the English translations interpret the present tense as saying no Christian habitually sins, that's the relationship view, okay? Does that make sense? So the New American Standard, which I love New American Standard, ESV, NIV, they all translate that. And um, so there's a leaning there by a lot of theologians that would say that um, those who abide in the Lord positionally do not practice sin. They don't have habitual sin in their life. Then the other translation, English translations reflect a different understanding. The New King James, the uh, American Standard Version, and then Young's Literal. You can see there, does not sin, does no sin, sin he doth not. Okay? So you're like, okay, what are we going to do with that? Well, you're like, does the Bible contradict itself? And the answer is no. We know we sin. But I want, you, I want to show you this. Uh, these viewpoints, and we'll land a little bit on the fellowship piece that explains a little bit more about it. The relationship view, I keep forgetting I gave this to you guys. The relationship view says a born-again believer does not habitually sin. That's just, that's where they draw the line. There is no habitual sin. Sin is done on occasion, but not regularly in the life of the believer. I think that's pretty open-ended. I'm like, hold on a second. Who defines that? Right? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Just questions. And I want to make sure that you understand, I respect these guys. I respect all of them, right? I'm just, I'm just a human who, with the help of the Lord, I'm trying to understand this better like you are, okay? So I want to make sure we understand that. Um, John Piper, I've heard John Piper. I've been five feet from John Piper. I've heard him speak. Uh, I've met John Piper. I shook John Piper's hand. Um, I certainly believe John Piper is a born-again Christian, but as we've talked about, there are times of differences in second-tier issues that happen in the church. He says that the practice of sin is the evidence and confirmation that one is not born of God. Okay. Um, 
doing confirms being. He says, not practicing sin is the evidence and confirmation. Oh, excuse me. Not practicing sin is the evidence and confirmation of being born again. So if you're not habitually sinning, then you're born again. But if you're habitually sinning, you're not born again. That's basically what he's saying. I personally have a hard time swallowing that based on life experience and on scripture. But again, I respect John Piper and there's many theologians who have that viewpoint. The fellowship view says this. I like the way they break this down. The key to this verse is the word seed. What is God's seed? That's a good question, is it not? I mean, it's there. The word refers to the new life of the believer implanted in him by God. What does it say? We are new creation in what? Jesus Christ. It is the new divine nature. So before, speaking of rotten, before we came to Christ, we were nothing but what? Rotten. When we came to Christ, someone indwelled us at salvation, right? Right? And so we have this new nature. Oh, what does that mean? When one receives the Lord Jesus Christ, I broke it down this way, they are given his nature, and in his nature, underscore that, please underscore that, in his nature there is no sin. Would we agree with that? We could at least agree with that, right? In his nature there's no sin. God's nature, his seed, cannot produce sin. So when a believer is abiding in him, there is no sin. Why? Because he does not sin. Okay? Dr. Thomas Constable, who is a former Dallas um, grad and professor, wrote this. Everyone who abides in him does not sin. If we were able to abide in Christ without interruption... Remember one of the quotes I gave you last week was 24-7, right? There wouldn't be a problem. We would never sin. Here's the problem. We do sin. Well, why do we sin? Well, he says, the sinless nature of Christ controls the abiding Christian, whereas the sinful human nature controls the non-abiding Christian, okay? Well, that makes sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you, but it makes sense to me. You're saying, Thad? I haven't chewed on that enough. I encourage you to chew on it. You ever chewed on a piece of meat? All right? I have this restaurant in Springville that I really like. Farmhouse. Is that the name? Farmhouse. Oh, man. And they have this ribeye. That baby is that big. It's beautiful. It's always market price. So when I'm given a gift, like a money gift, I designate it farmhouse. And um, so I took Teresa out. The very first time we went to farmhouse... And they, I ordered that ribeye because I had that gift money. And I know what market price means. You're going to empty your wallet. And I'm like, oh, well, I've got 100 bucks. I hope that thing's not over 100 bucks. It wasn't over 100, but it was 40-something bucks. But it was worth it. Oh, it was worth every minute. And he comes to the table and he says, hey, look, um, he says, uh, what, what you want? I said, I want that ribeye. I said, this is how I want it cooked. Cooked. I want it well done. I want it crispy. He said, crispy? I said, crispy. He said, sir, he said, we can cook it well, and then we'll take a torch to the top of it. I said, oh, Lord, this is so beautiful. So they brought me that steak, and you're not going to believe this, but that steak was absolutely scrumptious, okay? It just, it looked like tar maybe, but it was really good. It was really good, I promise well, then, and then Teresa had Cajun pasta. Why are you getting Cajun pasta? That was the way she did. 
She got Cain's response. Well, the next time I went, you know what I was expecting? Same thing. You know what I got? Tough piece of meat. <laughs> I had to chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. You know what, guys? Some things are easy to swallow. We chew on it, it's gone. Some's tough. This is tough. I already told you this when we first entered this arena. So I'm just warning you, all right? A couple things to leave with this morning. Agreeable things is what I called them. Uh, And I'm just going to fill in the blanks for you. Practicing righteousness happens as we abide in him. We can agree on that. Sin is a huge barrier to fellowship with God. Can we agree on that? Yeah, I think we agree on that. If you think about it just in terms of context, if I'm sinning in my home, it's a huge barrier to fellowship with my people at home, right, when there's sin. Um, third, sin is to be taken seriously in the life of believers. That's a word, by the way, I mentioned this before, but boy, people don't want to talk about sin in a church. I don't know, it's just not popular. <clears throat> Fourth, believers who aren't in who are in sin, excuse me, aren't communicating that they belong to the Lord. Can we agree on that? That happens. We have to be very, very careful. And fifthly, knowing that sin is a barrier to fellowship heightens the importance of abiding. So all those things I just, Lord brought to me, I just kind of gave them to you to think about, all right? Well, that's enough to think about. And next time you go to farmhouse, you can get you a big old steak and... Make it well done with some crispiness on it. It'll it'll eat real well for you, all right? All right, well, we're going to pray the Lord to help us chew on these things. All right, so Father, we just want to thank you for your word, and I pray you would help us to chew on these things, and none of us in this room are claiming we know everything. We don't know everything. There's one that knows everything, and that's you. And so we're thankful that um, you have us, and we're thankful, Lord, that... um, we have the Spirit of God, those of us who belong to you, and when there's sin, you're going to convict us of that sin. Spirit is. And, and Lord, I pray that um, we would be moved by the conviction to confession. And if we're not moved by the conviction to confess, then there's a problem there. And I pray you'd help us deal with that. And if there's no conviction at all, something's going on. So we know, Lord, there's a lot to consider. We want your Spirit to lead us and to guide us. I thank you for these guys that are here today, and I just pray if there's one that doesn't belong to you, Lord, that that they might get saved today. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you guys will stand and close in worship with us.
appreciate y'all leading today very much. All right, isn't it great seeing all these young people up here? Great job. Thank you. All right, so we have a fellowship, and uh, we're not going to have farmhouse steaks, but <laughs> there's a fellowship. You can just kind of pretend as you're eating. But um, we do have hamburgers and hot dogs, and um, there'll be a line forming right outside these doors on my left, right outside those doors into the fellowship hall. Um, and that, that line should go pretty rapidly, and the reason it should is because they know what you already ordered and um, if you've not signed up for the fellowship and you're, or you're visiting with us today, go, hey, I'd like to eat. You can too. All right, just get in line. We've got plenty of food. We want you to do that. But you'll go form the line, go up to the window. They're going to give you hamburger, hot dog, uh, one of each if you order that way, however you ordered. And um, then there's four tables, four. Say four. Four tables. Not one, but um, I, need, I need you to say it, four. Because this is what's going to happen. There are four tables with mayonnaise, mustard, all those things. So if the line's like stuck, that means somebody's just standing at one table and a lot of people have encircled them just standing at that one table. There are four tables with all that kind of stuff on them, all right? So y'all, ha- y'all can go through the line, get your hamburger hot dog, fix it up how- the way you want it, and then there's drinks in there and desserts. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, all right? So we are looking forward to fellowshipping, and do you know... What was done during the service is actually the foyer is set up as well with tables right now and chairs because there were so many people that signed up, which is wonderful. We need fellowship together. That's what we're talking about. So it's a wonderful time to do that. So I'm going to pray for the food, and then you guys can form that line and go out there and uh, get your food. And uh, if you have little children, small children, if you could accompany them through that line, that would be very helpful to the ones that are serving uh, serving them. So, okay. All right, let's bow and pray, and then you can go and get your food. All right. Father, we just want to thank you so much for our time together today. And above all, Father, we pray that everything done this morning brought honor and glory to your Son. We thank you for the provisions of life, for the food that we're about to uh, receive. We're thankful. I pray that we would just enjoy our time together and fe- as we fellowship with one another. And we just uh, commit the day to you, and we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.